You're listening to the Wellness Insider Network, episode number 61. Welcome to the Wellness Insider Network podcast, a place where you discover how to create a balanced, vibrant, and stress-free life with the right food, herbs, and self-care techniques. I'm your host, Lana Camille. I'm a college professor, drug information pharmacist, and an herbalist. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Let's get the show started. Hello, Wellness Insiders. I hope this has been a good week for you. Have you wondered how our ancestors, or ancient physicians for that matter, were able to diagnose their contemporaries without laboratory testing available to them? Without a doubt, you know some of the signs that a person in front of you is not feeling well, whether they're flushed or sweating or their coloring is off. I've been fascinated by the idea of facial diagnosis, a concept that takes this one step further. And my today's guest, Margie Flint, is here to help me with this. Margie is a teacher and a friend who has been practicing as a village herbalist in a local seacoast town of Marblehead, Massachusetts, for over 40 years. I've always been thrilled to introduce her to my students every January when she comes to talk to them about case-taking and ways in which herbalist evaluates her clients. Margie began her herbal studies in 1974 with many influential and deeply admired herbalists. This is how she describes her own training. A little Ayurveda, some Chinese, lots of aromatherapy, Native American with some science and a heavy dose of folk, throw in years of studying supplements, their quality, best combination, times of day to consume, add to that 20 years of attending birth as a labor coach and an herbalist, as well as raising four kids who have grown into wonderful adults. Margie is a professional member of the American Herbalist Guild and Herbal Mentor. She teaches at herbal symposiums as well as medical institutions such as Massachusetts College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences and also lectures internationally. Many area doctors refer clients to her office. Her classes at the practice site called Earth Song Herbals range from beginner's programs to advanced herb and practitioner's classes. She oversees two practitioner circles continues to practice as a certified polarity and Reiki therapist, and attends births on occasion. If you're curious about facial diagnosis and would like to learn more about your own constitution, this episode is for you. As always, you can find links and additional information in the show notes at wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 61. And just before we begin, one Surprise for you. Many of my students have been asking me about the easiest first step for bringing herbs into your life. I created a quick guide with five of my favorite tools and companies to get you started. You can find it in the show notes or later at wellnessinsidernetwork.com T resources. Enjoy the interview. Margie, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning. I am very well. 
I am always thrilled to have you, whether it is in my classroom or here on the podcast. Today, uh, I brought you in because I want to ask you a few questions about herbal case taking and what it means and what are some of the things that you do when you have patients who come over to see you. But before we begin, I wanted to ask to tell us about your life, how your herbal journey began. Um, you had another career before you fell in love with herbs. So I wanted to ask you to perhaps begin with that and then bring us to today. Okay. Let's see. The drama all began when I was 24. And at that time, I um, had some very bizarre symptoms and went and visited a doctor at Mass General who told me that it was either stress or a tumor in my pituitary gland. And at that time, I didn't even know what a pituitary gland was. And, you know, asked, well, do I have surgery? What? How do we move forward? And he said, well, if it is a tumor, we'll test you a number of times and then throughout the year. And if the calcium deposits on the pituitary change, you have a tumor and there's nothing we can do about it. You'll have about a year and a half to live. <laughs> and at this point, you know, his desk seemed like a vast empty space <laughs> and he was not looking at me or connecting with me at all. And I had to get in a cab and go along Star Drive along the river and take in this information at the age of 24. Oh my God, I could have a year and a half to live. So so that was the beginning of my path, being told that I would not live. And I'm considerably older than 24 now. Okay. So so, <laughs> so, so the story has a good conclusion to it. Yeah, the story has, yeah, I didn't die, yay. So I changed everything in my life. I I left a relationship that was abusive. I went to art school. I... Uh, began studying nutrition and supplements and herbs and yoga and meditation and everything I could think of to change my life. And I did change my life and I never went back for my final testing because I felt as though I was an impressionable girl. And if they told me that I did have a tumor, even though the calcium deposits did change in the second test, I would... If they told me I had it for sure, that I would just die. So I just went on my way and didn't tell anyone anything about it, and um, but did change my life incredibly and really have maintained doing everything that I did then. I am still doing now. The difference is that herbs was the thing that completely took over my life because the herbs will have their way. <laughs> And once they decide that you're on the herbal path, there's really nothing you can do to stop it. When you were saying that herbs take over, what exactly does that mean? Um, herbs are our ancestors. They were here long before we were here, we humans. And herbs have knowledge and ability to change all life, oxygen in the air, etc. They, I know we don't want to get too esoteric here, but um, herbs change people. 
And if you ask for the help from the herbs, they are absolutely magic. I wholeheartedly agree with you. And so when I think <laughs> how my life has changed is I remember when I started studying herbs, first you get one little bottle and then you have one little <laughs> shelf and then you have one little closet and then your husband is complaining, why are there herbs everywhere? So I hear you. I hear you very, very well. Um, yes, I, I have a three-story house and a story and a half of it is all herbal. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the herbs this this house is a container for herbs <laughs> yes yes and so this is this is not counting your clinic I'm assuming oh, well I mean a clinic does count because okay. it's part of the herbal practice yeah okay all right that's fabulous so you mentioned that you teach and you have a practice so tell mm -hmm. us a little bit about your practice like what does your uh, what does your clinic look like? Okay, a clinic is an opportunity for <clears throat> um, clients who don't perhaps don't have the funding to come and see me privately, to come to a setting where there are other herbalists or people interested in studying herbs, like the Mass College pharmacy students are always welcome, and you know my Tufts medical students are always welcome. So anyone can come and be an observer as long as they uh, have a brief interview with me. <clears throat> and then people who are serious about practicing after they feel they're ready, they may do the intake with the client. And during the intake, we cover medical history, lifestyle, um, diet, exercise, happiness level, Honestly, the high point questions for me are, do you drink water? <laughs> do you move your bowels regularly? Are you happy in your relationship, your job, your children, whatever? All those happy questions are the most important ones because if people are content in their life, their ability to have their immune system not be compromised <laughs> is much better. So their tendency to get better, you know, for instance, one question is, um, do you have a belief in a higher power, a spiritual path, a religion? And if they say no, that's sad. They get no points. But if they say yes, they get a thousand points. There are different ways to interpret health. And for me, the spirit, if your spirit is happy, you're healthy. Uh, you said that these are few things that you ask or that you look uh, for in your client. But um, I also know that uh, from the classes that I have attended, that you have taught, and from the information that you share with my students, that you have a very interesting uh, approach to looking at external clues that our bodies mm -hmm. might present us with. And so... Uh, Perhaps before we begin, I wanted to ask you a little bit about how different type of uh, traditions like Ayurveda and Chinese medicine and that Native American ways and various other ones have influenced you in coming up with this approach. Right. So the, what I do is a visual diagnostic technique 
where I look at the lines and colors and location of blemishes and uh, location of pigmentation on the face. And also I look at the nails for ridges and spots and dots and um, the colors that are, whether they have uh, lunaria, the white moons on the nails and all the same things on the tongue. So this was taught to me by the late William Lasassier. And William Lasassier was um, a very eccentric man who did what I call a mongrel practice. So his he was a little bit of Ayurveda, a little bit of Chinese, a little bit of Huna, which is Hawaiian, a little bit of Native American studies and probably other things that I never heard him identify where they were from. But when I studied with him, uh, the information he shared just fell into my brain and fit right in. It was, they were the puzzle pieces I was waiting for. And using the diagnostic skills, for instance, if I look at somebody and I see that they have very hard facial expressions, they're kind of clenching their teeth and their jaw muscles are pulsing on the side and they have redness to the outside of their eyes. There's sort of a silver dollar area there that might have redness or blackheads or that sort of thing. And a blue line, a blue vessel that goes up the side of their head, they have gallbladder issues. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's once you learn this system, it is blatantly obvious who has what. And your face is really just an open book telling the world what your inner condition really is. It's a bit of a curse for me to go out in the world. I try and shut it off. But you can really read everybody's medical history just by looking at them. <laughs> that That's absolutely fascinating. I think when you're talking about facial expressions, um, some of our listeners might not realize uh, that you are specifically looking at certain parts of the face. I remember when your book came out and I started looking at different diagrams and started recognizing that, oh, there is something that might be on the forehead and there is something that might be related right. to the eye area. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like not maybe not even sure. like combining them, but maybe kind of saying, okay, this is what the lines on the forehead or blemishes on the forehead. And can you kind of like break so it down? Do you, a want little me bit? To, do you want me to just sort of describe the map? Yes. Yes. Okay, cool. So the upper forehead is the large intestine. And the lower forehead is the small intestine. Margan, when you say uh, lower intestine or upper intestine, this is like you're looking for anything that will be in these areas, right? Whether lines or blemishes or anything related to that. Right. So if, if a face has no lines, no problem. But anywhere there are lines, whether, you know, some lines go all the way across the forehead, And some lines are little choppy lines. Mm -hmm. So little choppy lines have more to do with spasm or tension. And long straight lines have to do with a long-standing issue. So if you have, let's say, one line that comes across your forehead and you take your fingers and try and open it up just Mm -hmm. to see what's under there, 
if it looks like nothing, it looks just like skin, then it's probably one that you can work with and it'll go away quickly. But if there's a pink line that looks like a scar, that's been a longstanding issue. So this might be with large intestine, you know, somebody who's had food allergies all their life and not known about it and had to, you know, deal with having digestive issues for their entire lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see, the nose is the heart and the cheeks are your lungs and the chin from the jawline downward is the pelvic floor and your ears are your kidneys and then under your eyes you have many of your organs so under your eyes you'll have if it's puffy it's kidneys if it's brown coloration it's large intestine if it's blue black it's um, uh, liver adrenals if it's one blue black line like um like eyeliner mm-hmm. <laughs> that curves right at the um, the crest of the cheekbone. Those are specific food allergies. Let's see, adrenals are across the bridge of the nose. And adrenals, you have to ask some other questions. You, you know, you'll have the person put their hands straight out. And if they tremor, then that's adrenals. Or when they put their tongue out, if it trembles, it's adrenals. So there, we always want to look to three indicators before we pass judgment. Of course. And this is something that I also wanted to mention or uh, to ask you about. So you don't just look at someone and say, oh, you have a problem with your digestive system. This is never, never say out loud what I see unless it can change. Okay. So if, if somebody has like a diagonal line in their earlobe, that means they're dehydrated. It's kidney dehydration. So if they drink more water, they can plump up that line. Mm-hmm. So I just say drink water until that line's filled in. And it's, it's <laughs> yeah. And these are some clues that we can find in, you mentioned Ayurvedic or Chinese or Native American or Hawaiian medicine. Uh, before we were testing in medical system for various uh, indicators, we were looking at our body. And I always get giggles from my students when we're talking about tan diagnosis, which is a very common thing that is done in uh, traditional Chinese medicine. And so asking them to stick their tongues out and to clean. I know. Yes, really. We're told our, all our lives not to do that. Yes. <laughs> not to stick and your tongue out. And you're not supposed to talk about your poop either. Another favorite topic of mine. Yes. Yes, that that is very true. And so all these things, this is the observations that our ancestors or uh, culturally that we have been doing. So with the tongue, I find it very interesting that the coloration and that different elements of your tongue can also change dramatically, whether, and you mentioned, if you're dehydrated, and if maybe you're under the weather, if maybe something else is going on. But uh, this is something that I try to monitor either on a daily basis or at least every couple of days when you're brushing your teeth, uh, you can stick your tongue out very easily and you can start finding uh, different patterns and you can start noticing things that are going on. If you look at your own tongue and you begin to notice Oh, when I have coffee with cream, all of a sudden I have a coating on my tongue. Mm -hmm. And the center part of my tongue 
gets a little bit dark and uh, dry looking, then you can understand that what you're drinking is dairy, which is making a coating, and caffeine with alkaloids in it, which is dehydrating your tongue. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you'll begin to see, you know, on the days that you don't feel good, the coating on your tongue is completely different than on days that you feel healthy. Mm-hmm. And you're, you know, everyone is very wise to look at their own tongue every day and also to use a tongue scraper or a large tablespoon to go toward the back, not all the way back, but toward the back of the tongue and scrape it mm-hmm. and let that go down into the sink the first thing in the morning. And that's all the work that your liver did all night long trying to get rid of toxins and you're just dumping it into the sink. And I can't remember the percentage, but it's somewhere around 85% of people, uh, 85% of respiratory conditions will not occur if you just simply scrape your tongue in the morning okay. and don't use your toothbrush. That's disgusting. Okay. that's Then you're just getting all that bacteria on your toothbrush and then you reapply it later. So, um, better to use something stainless steel. Okay, that's good to know. Thank you. You wrote a lot of these suggestions and shared a lot of this wisdom in your book. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, your book? Why did you okay. decide to write it? And also what it is called? <clears throat> I wrote it because I had to teach a class on how to practice for Rosemary Gladstar and the great inspirer of herbalists in the universe. Mm -hmm. So I wrote a little 24-page handout, and that was the beginning of the book. And then when when, um, it came time to actually write a book, I spoke into a microphone because I wasn't a very gifted writer at the time, which just goes to show if you write, you get better at it. Yes. (laughs) So, you know, it started off as 24 pages and now I think it's 460 or something. Mm -hmm. But it is a, it's really a textbook for herbalists on how to be in practice, how to do an herbal consultation and why you ask the questions you ask and what the possible answers could be and then what would be further questions. And I do tell the story of my own life. as my old boyfriend so eloquently said, so that people can see that anyone can become an herbalist. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And let's see, so practice, history, um, I cover a few of the major things that are always coming through my office, like Lyme disease and cancer and autoimmune disease and uh, you know, you know, common uh, issues that I feel like I have, you know, either friends who are very wise that I shared their information because I had guest writers. Um, and then a good portion of the book, I would say probably a third of it is all on the diagnostic skills. Mm-hmm. And I try to put it in in a a different context throughout those chapters because people think in different ways and that way, you know, the information hopefully sinks in better. There is nothing like doing a visual class where you have a real 
teacher in front of you, whether it's me or some of the people teaching this information now, um, and having live people so that you can just point and say, see this line, and then they see it on a real human being, Mm -hmm. and then you get the medical history and it matches. And, you know, it's it's a, it's really fun to have people stand up in front of you and know nothing about them and run through potential diagnosis of what's going on. And it's incredibly correct. Very, very impressive. You mentioned a couple of minutes ago for writing the book, you had some guests, right? It uh, reminded me that this is also one thing that you do quite often, that you invite people as a teacher, as an instructor um, Mm -hmm. into your clinic. Can you talk a little bit more about this? Well, I have two, uh, what I consider at this point in my life, younger teachers. I don't really know how old people are, but I think they're probably in their 40s. But one person is Lauren Valley. She'll be teaching a class on Lyme disease because she effectively got rid of her own Lyme disease and also has treated numerous people successfully. Mm -hmm. So when I find a practitioner who really has honed in on on, um, whatever the protocol is they're using is working, I want to bring them in to the clinic so that more people who are practicing will receive that knowledge. The other person who's young who's teaching here is um, Rochelle Baca, and she's teaching on sacred medicine or cannabis and really has a respect for uh, for the medicine and the use of it that I think is highly beneficial to practitioners and her her teaching, uh, hands-on teaching is very practical and factual. Okay. So she's great. And then, of course, the old, the old guard like me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Matthew Wood, you know, he'll be coming back. Uh, I haven't got a date yet, but we're talking about it. Um, John Wojtowicz from Maine. Dr. Wojtowicz comes and teaches here. And, you know, there are, I have cut down on the amount of classes I have because I'm trying to play more than work. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, running big seminars all the time is not um, conducive to play time. Of course. Although they are my friends, I do get to play. But, um, yeah, you have to continually educate. I have to continually learn. Mm -hmm. But more than that, I want my young herbalists to have the best possible teachers they can have. And that's always so much appreciated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. aromatherapy. Leslie Wooler's coming, um, I think, in January. Mm -hmm. So that's coming right up. And she'll have a two-day class on aromatherapy, a beginning level, yeah. So, Margie, if someone wanted to attend these classes or seminars, how would they learn more Mm -hmm. about them? You can go to my website, which is Earth, E-A-R-T-H, Song, S-O-N-G, Herbals, H-E-R-B-A-L-S. And I have a list of classes all the time. And on the website, or Song Herbals, you can also find my contact information, the office phone, and my email. So um, it's, I'm actually trying to switch from Margie at Earth Song because it's too long, to Margie Flint at okay. Mac. 
mac.com. Okay. So, um, yeah, call or email. And I'm not fast about getting back to you okay. anymore because I'm, I'm out playing. I love hearing that. I really love hearing <laughs> this. Margie, as we're coming to the end of this interview, I wanted to ask you if you have any words of wisdom for someone who is listening to this, perhaps something that they might want to take from this conversation and really hold on to. Yes, please go ahead. Yep. Um, my, my major advice for anyone going into any of the healing art, anything, is first you have to work on yourself. Mm-hmm. And when you begin working on yourself and seeing the changes happen by working on your spirit and your connection to other humans, your connection to the planet, then that's where the real healing begins and people will be drawn to you because you're doing your work. I absolutely love it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much, Borgie. Oh, it was great, Lana. It's always great to talk to you. Likewise. And I'll see you soon. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Margie Flint. You can find all the uh, resources and links mentioned in today's episode in the show notes at wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 61. As I mentioned earlier, many of my students have been asking me about the easiest first step for bringing herbs into their lives. I created a quick guide with five of my favorite tools and companies to get you started. You can also find it in the show notes or wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash T-resources, one word, T-resources. This episode is proudly brought to you by the American Herbalist Guild. I've been a member of this organization for many years. Every fall, I attend HG Symposium, a great gathering of like-minded herbalists, where I always learn something new and exciting and network with others. Through this podcast, you've met many of the practicing members of the American Herbalist Guild. Professional members of this organization are recognized practitioners who have demonstrated to their peers their knowledge and expertise in the field of herbal medicine. General members continue to enhance their education by reading the Journal of American Herbalist Guild, their monthly member newsletters, having free access to webinar archives, an amazing archive of symposium lecture recordings, and so much more. Additionally, each member gets discount and offers on products, services, and tickets from some of the best herbal suppliers, schools, and companies. Check out the show notes or wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash HG and learn more about this great organization. Thanks again for being here. I appreciate you. Be smart, be healthy, be you.